Well, good morning, Bridgeway Congregation. And good morning to those of you that are guests or visitors today. It is, it is great to be here with all of you this morning. Uh, my name is Don Frays, and this is now my third Sunday here with you as your new transitional pastor. And uh, it's been a wonderful morning already. We have been filled. I thank you, uh, Scott, for a great word to encourage us. And uh, uh, worship team, Laura, thank you for your vulnerability and openness to share your story with us. That blesses and touches all of our hearts. And uh, if you were hearing the songs and all the, how the worship team led us today, we've already had a beautiful message of hope. And so my hope and prayer would be to, to continue with the message of hope today. I think that is so powerfully what the Holy Spirit wants to speak into all our lives and I believe to speak into you as a congregation. So God bless you and Lord, let, let the hope come. Now this morning, uh, I'm going off script a little bit. This won't be in a sense a regular sermon, but what I promised you last week was that I would use this Sunday to share a little bit of my story so you can get to know me, um, but also to share a little bit with you about transitional ministry, what's a transitional pastor anyway, and what will happen in this next year of transition. So I've entitled my talk today, um, Hope, really? Hope in the neutral zone. So what's the neutral zone? Now, to those of you who are hockey fans, you are right away thinking about the space between the two blue lines and that dreaded neutral zone. And if you're like me, you might have even given up on hockey during the 90s because teams like the New Jersey Devils got so good at the neutral zone trap that all of the good offensive hockey and it became boring defensive hockey. And I'm so thankful now that we have these awesome offensive teams and scorings just like it was back in the good old Gretzky days. So anyway, that, no, we're not talking about that neutral zone though. Maybe some of you are thinking in terms of warfare where there's this zone between two fighting armies that's called the neutral zone. Well, we're maybe sort of talking about that, but not quite. And then I know there's another group of you out there, and most of you are probably hiding this about yourself, but I know you're out there. There's Trekkies out there. Oh yes, and you know who you are. And you Trekkies know exactly what the neutral zone is, right? And yes, nothing needs more to be said. But I'm not talking about that neutral zone either. The neutral zone that I'm talking about and the hope that we need in the neutral zone is this next season that you are walking into as a church. Now, I uh, want to show you an image of this season of transition. Oh, it's up there already. And you'll, you'll see in that image this beautiful tree. And I don't know if you can tell from the picture, but there's a new tree growing up right in front of the older tree. But it's kind of hard to see because sometimes... The new hope of the new tree gets lost in the old growth of the old tree, but sure enough, it's there. Now, this, this, uh, this image is basically illustrates what I mean by the neutral zone and what this year of transition is to be about. So if you go to the bottom, you see that there is a period of time that's about endings. And we know that you've been through some difficult and painful times as a church, and the prayer would be that by the power of the Spirit and the work that he does among us, that there begins to be some healing and endings to some of those hurts and some of those pains. And obviously, we want to get to that top of the tree, to that whole part that's called new beginnings. But here's the problem. Between endings and new beginnings, there's this place called the neutral zone that isn't always to be in. Now, the next slide is... Uh, 
one from my uh, transitional information, but it's of Linus, and some of you might get this right away, but I'll just read this quote. It's not so much that we're afraid of change or so in love with the old ways, but it's that place in between that we fear. It's like Linus when his blanket is in the dryer. There is nothing to hold on to. So that's a bit of, bit of a fun image I hope to try to understand, but that's what's hard about the neutral zone. You kind of enter a time when there's going to be lots of unknown and maybe some of the comforts aren't there to hang on to anymore from the past, but then there's also the, all the uncertainties of what the future may look like. And so that's just a, a little, little bit of an image there. Now, in terms of transitional ministry, um, basically my role is to be here for about a year period and during that time to, to sort of walk you through three phases. So the three phases of transitional mini, the ministry, the first one is called closure or recognition of the past. So don't, don't go quite there yet, dear. Or no, it's not up. Oh, it is up there. It doesn't matter. You'll all just all read it and won't listen to me anymore. Just to give you the overview. So phase one is what we call closure. Then phase two is when we look at what's called vision clarity or vision alignment, where we look at the past vision of the church, the future vision of the church, and where God may be leading us. And that's kind of the second phase of transitional year. And then the third phase is basically the leadership phase, where we begin the whole process of searching for your new pastor and making the adjustments for the church to have new leadership uh, emerge among you. So that, that's basically the three steps, and I'll, and I'll unpack them a little more. So now that you've all read my quote, um, here is a bit of a definition of what closure is, or this first phase is, the recognition of the past. And it says, closure involves honoring the past without hindering or restricting what God is waiting and willing to do in the future. Closure is the first step in a process that gradually shifts the focus from the blessings or crises of the past to the challenges and potential of the future. It involves a vision shift that enables people to see the past as God's way to prepare them for an abundant future. Now, while you're thinking about this first phase of closure, I'm sure that there's lots of you that will have very different feelings about this. I'm sure that there's some of you that are like, are you kidding me? Have we not done enough navel-gazing? Can we just please get on with it and forget about the past and just focus on the future? And so some of you are dreading that, and that's where you're at, and I respect that. Can I say to you, though, that proper closure and proper dealing with the past, not done in a way to air dirty laundry or to blame certain people or to recreate conflict all over again, but a proper and good and hopefully spirit-led way to deal with the past and deal with the pain is important in order to move forward in health. So I encourage you that even though you're struggling with that, can you hang in there a little bit and believe in the process? There's probably though also some of you that are afraid that there has been some deep wounds and deep hurts and deep wrongs done in the church and you're afraid that we're just going to sweep them under the carpet and move on and not deal with them properly. Well, let me say to you that, you know, we want to do that too. So I know that some of you will have that, those fears as well. Let me remind you, my role here is not to try to figure out who's right and who's wrong and who to blame and who to exonerate. And we're not going there, but we do need to acknowledge where hurts have been made, where forgiveness needs to happen, where pain has happened, 
and deal with that again in a spirit-led, honest, and open way. But again, those are kind of, so those will be the two extremes that some of you will feel, and a lot of you are maybe in between going, I'm not even sure why we have to do this anyway, but I hope that the Spirit will help you as we go through this neutral zone time. So anyway, that's just, that's a little bit. Um, so the next slide will show you the, just some of the goals during this, this first phase of transition. So I, I'm not going to unpack this a lot. We'll save that for perhaps a future congregation meeting where you can ask more questions, but I'll just try to give you a bit of an overview. So some of the transition goals in this phase are understanding healing and learning from the past. So I will be doing lots and lots of meetings with people, with, with groups, with leadership um, to unpack the story, unpack things, and I'll need a good while to really learn and discern and to pray with you in terms of, of, of what's, what's happened. So that'll be a big part of this phase. Um, Number two, clear communication and short-term administration. So just work for me working closely with leadership teams and with our staff and working very closely with Darren and service planning and just to, to just sort of help with all of that communication during this time. Um, as well, pastoral care and prayer coverage, what we call um, relational and spiritual renewal. I hope and pray that I can be a part of, of working with you in that. And also, uh, along with Darren and others who speak in the church, to preach on themes of hope and possibility during this time that we seek the Lord. So that's, that's a little bit of phase one. So quickly on to phase two, which, which I, again, some of these time frames I have are our best guesses. It won't be quite so three months, three months, three months, but it's just basically to give you a bit of an idea of the process of, of what the transitional work will be like. So here's some of the, the goals in phase two of vision, clarity, and alignment. So review our current mission and values of Bridgeway Community Church. And during that time, not just review what past visions have been, but also begin to dream together and discuss the possibilities. Now, just to explain something here, I know that when we start to talk to the church often about mission, vision, and values, again, some of you just start to groan and go, oh, not this again. Can't we just do church and not take everything so seriously and always have to fight over what's our vision and blah, blah, blah? Okay, I get some of that cynicism, but here's what's really important to understand. As your transitional pastor, I don't come here with my vision to lead you. I come here, hopefully, with a humble and open spirit to facilitate and work with you in discovering God's heart and God's vision for you as a church. I would suggest to you that it's not the role of the pastor to come in and say, here's the vision for us, church, follow me. My vision would be, or my suggestion would be, that you want a pastor that's going to come in and serve and honor and work with the vision that God has given you as a church. So really, vision and mission and all that stuff is not just the job of your future pastor. That is for all of you. Every church is unique and needs to do the work of discovering how has God made us a unique part of the body? What is our uniqueness to this community? What is our uniqueness to the mission and vision? And let's discover that together. Let's own that together. And then let's go find a pastor that will fit with that and want to serve that and minister together with us in that vision. So that's, I hope that is clear in terms of what this process will be. So again, I don't want to complicate things. 
I want to involve as many of you as possible in the process of, of discovery and dreaming and seeing what God has for you as a church. And then to discern together with leadership how structures and everything else, including future hiring, will help accomplish that mission. So, so that's some of the work that, that happens in phase two, and I won't read the rest of that. You can see that. And then phase three is sort of what is the final staffing or leadership process, or what some of you may think of as the HR work of the transitional pastor. And so this is when, again, out of discovering that mission and vision, we determine and discern um, what's the best way to move forward with staffing. It's during that time that we'd probably then put together a search team, all of the documentation of, of um, you know, what we're looking for, the vision and values work that we've done, hopefully is done during that time so that we, we have that work documented and can post the positions and then begin the whole process of candidating and so on. And that's a ways down the road. But just, again, wanted to kind of give you an overview of the whole process. So again, you probably have a lot more questions, and I'm sorry if I wasn't very clear there. I'm trying to give you enough information to know what's going on without boring you to tears with too much information. But again, I hope that at our next congregation meeting, um, Lord willing, I can give some more direction there and also answer some of your questions. All right, so that's the overview, and I guess now a little bit about me, if I can get back to the right, uh, right page. All right, so as we talk about transition, and as I thought about my story, I thought, you know, it would be, you know, there's a part of me that obviously wants you to like me and think I'm great, and so it would be easy to want to tell the accomplishments and the successes and the joys and the good times of my story, and praise be to God, there has been a lot of that. But because we're talking about transition, and transition is often very painful, I'm actually going to share with you about two key transitions in my life that were very difficult, hurting, and broken times. And so you're just going to get that one slice of my life today, but I hope that the Spirit can use that to encourage you and to also illustrate a little bit to us what it means to walk through difficult transitions individually and as a church. Now again, when we talk about transitions... Like all of us are facing transitions in our lives all the time. And transitions are hard. So, you know, any, any kids or youth in the room, like every time you start a new grade, um, it's a transition. Every time that um, you move to a new school or even move to a new house or lo and behold, if your parents make you move to a new community, that's a huge transition. And those transitions are hard and stressful. It's the same when you're... When you're adults, moves and moving communities, churches, jobs, there's so many things like that, changing careers. They're, they can be very, very difficult, but those are key transitions in our lives. So there's so many ways that, that you can think about transition personally, and I hope the Spirit will speak to you about that today, but also when we go through transitions as a community. And I know, again, we're, you're in a time of transition as a congregation, and we need to just acknowledge the fact that transitions are hard. Transitions are uncomfortable. Transitions are painful. Transitions aren't necessarily the rah, rah, rah fun time. They're a little bit of, and a lot of work at times, but they're necessary and they're a part of life and they're how God changes us and molds us and transforms us. And so I just want to encourage you with that. And, and obviously, transition has, has been a big, a big part of my life. So just a little bit about me. 
Um, as I said, my name is Don Fraze. I'm married to Una. We have uh, four young adult children, and I just um, recently have a son-in-law and now my first granddaughter. So I'm a new grandpa as well. Um, my oldest daughter and her husband uh, moved to Australia about three years ago and decided to have our first grandchild that far away in Australia. So we finally did get to see them here back in uh, February and March. So that was just a wonderful time. I'm just so thankful to have that opportunity. But uh, yeah, so that's, that's a little bit my... And then I have two other daughters that live in Saskatoon and a son who lives in Calgary. So that's just, just a little, little bit about my family. Uh, people ask me, so where are you from? Where did you grow up? Well, I've spent most of my adult life in Saskatoon. However, I did have a short uh, stint in Calgary and a year in Vancouver. So yes, in my adult life, I have been a city boy. But to try to earn at least some cred with you, I did spend all of my growing up years in five small towns. So I know a little bit about rural life and small town living, and so that's a little part of, part of my story as well. And if any of you want to find out later, or guess which are those five Saskatchewan towns I lived in, we'll see if that's of any interest to you. Now, uh, through my, uh, uh, my, young, my young life uh, as a child, I became a Christ follower at a very young age. I went to Briarcrest Bible College um, to pursue that part of my education. And then at the ripe old age of 22, there was a church that wasn't very smart and they actually called me to be a pastor. <laughs> so what I was doing at 22, I don't know, but as you can tell, that has been my journey in my life. That um, I've had a couple things that have formed my identity. Of course, being a Christ follower, and that should always be what our identity foundation is in. But because I became a pastor so young, and it's been my whole vocation for my life, it's obviously also been a big part of my identity. And so, of course, that's going to come out in my story today. So in my years of being a pastor, I've been a youth pastor, I've been a young adults pastor, I've been a worship pastor, I've been a lead pastor, I got to be a church planter for a while, and now I've recently gone into what's called transitional ministry, and this is my third time getting to work with the church during, um, through a transitional time. So that's just a little bit of my vocational career swipe of my life. So, as I look back, and I'll, I'll try to tell my story a little bit in decades, but uh, I would sort of describe my, my years of the 20s as being just the wonderful years of idealism. Oh, I love those years. And for me, those years were being, being newly married, my wife and I diving into youth ministry, and, love, and work doing that together and loving it together. And, and I started out at Forest Grove Community Church in Saskatoon as their youth pastor there, and those were just incredible years. Now, when I jump to the decade of the 30s, this is when the story starts to get a little painful. And it was during this decade that I was first exposed to the deep pain of leadership conflict. And um, the line I used for this era of my life was, is the death of idealism and the exposure of character flaws. Not just in others, but mostly in me. And coming face to face with that during that time. Now, I don't want to bore you with so many details because most of you in this room know what church conflict is like. It can be a horrible thing to go through and it can be a very disillusioning thing to go to. And especially when you're young and you look up to older leaders and they fight just as immaturely as you do, it can be really devastating as a young person to, 
to sort of look at your church and go, I thought we were all Christians. I thought we could all get along. I thought we could work through our problems. And so when problems seem to overtake the church and get just to the point where you almost don't recognize your church anymore, that can be really painful for everyone. And, but I might suggest that I think sometimes for people my age and older, we gotta remember that that's even more painful often for the young because they're looking up to us and it's so hard for them to see the church that they love and leaders that they love walk through conflict. So I found myself in a place where I was in a deep and horrible conflict with the lead pastor I was working with um, and it came to a point where I knew I needed to resign and, and leave that church. And that was an extremely low moment in my life. Um, it was at that time that I was convinced I am damaged goods, I should not be a pastor, it is time for me to leave that role and not do any more harm to the church. And that was kind of where I was at. So now at this time in my life, um, we have a young family, we have four children, 10, and, 10 down to a baby. Um, my wife had been just working at home up until that point, living on my huge pastor's salary. <laughs> so all of a sudden we were in a place of crisis, so she went back to work part-time and I took a labor job and we tried to feed our family and continue on with life in that kind of broken state. Now it was during this time that I had to try to put my life and my spiritual life back together again. And I distinctly remember um, that I would show up to work about 15 minutes early and I would sit in my car, partly just trying to psych myself up to get out and go into work, but part of it was that, was that was my only sort of quiet God time that I could handle at that point in my life. And I'm just gonna be really honest to say with you that the only part of my spiritual life that had any life to it at that point was what I started to do in my five to 10 minutes in the car before work was pray the Lord's Prayer. That was my first sort of step back to trying to connect with God and make sense of life and, and open up my spiritual life again. And it was, that's all I could do. I would sit in the car and pray the Lord's Prayer. And at first, it was just sort of pray the words and go to work. And yet over time, to my surprise, that little Lord's Prayer started to both both, both mess with my life, but also begin to bring some hope and transformation into my life. So, now, if you grew up in, as in the evangelical church world like I did, um, you know, I, was always thought, I always thought that praying rote prayers was a real sign that you were less spiritual, right? Because spiritual people pray spontaneous, passionate prayers, right? And if you have to rely on rote prayers, well, those are those liturgical people that aren't really Christians anyway. And I had a lot of really unhealthy thoughts about that. But for me, all I could do in my brokenness was just, was just pray the Lord's Prayer. Now, um, you'll, you'll see on the screen that I've that I've got a, uh, a version of the Lord's Prayer that's from Matthew, and uh, it's actually from the New Revised Standard Version. So it's a little bit different than how we're, I think most of us are used to praying it, but let me just, just uh, read it for you. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. Now, most of that wording is probably familiar to you. We're, we're more used to saying, forgive me of my trespasses or sins, 
and for those who have sinned or trespassed against us. Um, and also in that last line, I think we're more used to, and, and lead us not into temptation. Now, um, I would suggest to you that though temptation is a very good translation of, of the word used there, that because of the way we understand being tempted or temptation, it actually, we kind of misunderstand it a little bit and we think that we're praying for God to deliver us from the temptations that we have in life. And that's okay, keep praying for God to deliver you from temptation, but really the deeper meaning of it is, is asking God to deliver us from times of trial, from times of testing that could possibly take us away from faith and take us away from, from following Jesus. And that is, that is sort of the depth of what that lead us not into a time of trial is all about. So anyway, back to me pathetically sitting in my car before work just praying the Lord's Prayer. Now, the first part of the prayer is really easy to pray, right? You know, um, sure, it's great to pray, Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done. Like right now, Lord, my life's falling apart and I don't know what to do next, so I'm really interested in your will. So that, that's, that's an easy, easy prayer to pray. And being in some financial need at that time and actually worrying about how I was going to feed my family, praying for daily bread every day was a real easy part to pray as well. Then you get down to, and Lord, forgive me for my sin. Well, that's easy. I was very, very broken, very, very aware of my own sin, and it was very easy to pray and ask God for forgiveness for my sin every day. But then it was the next line. The next line was really, really hard. Because the next line is, forgive me for my sin and for those who have sinned against me, right? Those who have hurt and wounded me. And so as I'm praying that, of course, what happens is faces start flashing in my mind. Of all the people that had been a part of this conflict I'd been in, the people that in my own heart and experience hurt me, betrayed me, wronged me. And so every morning when I would pray this prayer, I would see their faces and I had to choose every day to forgive. And let me be honest with you, at first, I didn't want to forgive them at all. I just wanted to be angry. I just wanted to be hurt. I just wanted the solace of feeling hurt because that felt better for me at first. And over time, as the Holy Spirit broke me down, but you know what? It took months. There wasn't just like one moment where it's like, okay, I can forgive them now, I'm good. It was a process that took months of the Holy Spirit flashing those people's faces in my mind, and it was a process to forgive and yet that process was completely necessary and completely healing. But that was really hard. Now, just to fast forward. Ooh, we've got to fast forward really fast here. Um, so, um, by the Lord's graciousness, uh, about a year later, a church called me and I resumed my pastoral career. And uh, had about a dozen years of what I guess would be wonderful, peaceful, fruitful ministry time in the church. And then camp comes the next transition. So the first transition I call the transition of leadership conflict. The next transition I'll call a transition of pain and loss. And I'll see if I can do this really quick here, quickly here as our time is going. Now, uh, at this time in my life, I was at, it, when it came to my vocation and my career as, pa as a pastor, life couldn't have been better. Um, the church that I was serving at at the time, Forest Grove Community Church, again, some of you might want to ask sometime how I ended up there so many times, but I was serving there again, and the church developed a new strategy for reaching out that was called multi-site, 
And basically, they were wanting to start and plant new churches within the city of Saskatoon. So I was approached and asked if I would like to be the first church planter or the first site pastor of a new church plant out of Forest Grove. And I was absolutely pumped. Because you see, this was actually a dormant dream in me that had been there from years before that I had thought would never happen. And it was in the area of the city that I loved and an area of the city that I wanted to move into and had a real heart and passion for. And so I was given this privilege to start this church plant. And this church plant went really, really well. It was, I would sort of, it may sound silly to you, but I'd sort of describe it as my dream job. I absolutely, absolutely loved it and things were just going really, really well. So, where did things go off the rails? Well, it's a really long story. I'll try to make it short. But basically, concurrent with everything going really well at church, there began to be some really deep and painful things happening in my family. And out of respect to my adult children, because everything's online right now, I won't say much more about that, but both health and faith crises led some of my kids into some extremely painful times. And I wasn't ready for that. Um, as well, along with that, because I had been a young adults pastor for so long, I have a deep, deep love and passion for young adults. And it was also during that time that, there were, that I just saw so many of them lose faith and walk away from God in the church. And I was so brokenhearted during that time that, I, that just the pain and the sadness of that just got me to a point where I was pretty much a brokenhearted mess. And as I started to try to deal with that pain in my life, it's when I began to realize that I was extremely weary from years of ministry and church planting now. And I started to notice the, the signs of burnout and realized I'm an, I, even though church is going super great, my internal world is falling apart. And I need to step aside and go through this next, next transition. And just, as you could probably tell, it was very, very hard. So that's why I call this the transition of pain and the transition of loss. Pain in my family and people I loved and also my inner pain. And, you know, I had my Job moment, I call it, where I yelled and screamed out at God. You know, because like for many of us, a lot of us as Christians, we live with what I call um, formula thinking. And it kind of goes like this. You know what? If I'm faithful to God and do all the right things, then life's going to work out. So what do you do when it doesn't? Now, it seems really prideful and arrogant to be able to say to God, but God, I've done everything right. I've served you. I've been faithful. Like, and I was angry. And I would say, God, I don't care. Give me all the church problems you want, but why aren't you protecting my own kids? And I don't have an answer to that other than it was pain and it was loss. And I went through that transition in my life. And uh, by the graciousness of God, during that time, I, I did need to step back from leadership in the church. Um, but then doors opened, and I was actually able to go back to school. And so I started my journey towards a master's degree at Regent College in Vancouver. And that was an incredible gift and an incredible year of my life of just re of healing and of, of internal transformation and just sort of uh, recapturing my love for the Lord and for ministry. And so it was kind of out of that time that I, that I came back into transitional ministry and 
kind of gets you up to, up to partly where I am today. So back to the Lord's Prayer. So once again, during the early hurting days, when I was out of ministry again and finding myself in a broken place of transition, funny enough, I went back to the Lord's Prayer and to other, other prayers written by people in the ancient past that have become really meaningful to me. I couldn't always put my own words together, but I could pray other prayers to, to bring comfort and bring meaning into my life. And it was during this, this time that, of course, that last part of the prayer was the hardest part, and just saying to the Lord, lead me not into temptation, or as I said more accurately, lead me not into times of trial that could shipwreck my faith. You see, it's praying that and understanding that we are all going to go through transitions and we are all going to go through times of trial. What we're praying to the Lord for, about in the Lord's Prayer is that do those times of transition, those times of trial, those times of pain and loss, do they rock our faith? Do they shake our faith? Yes, they do. But the prayer and the cry to God is, let them not shipwreck my faith. Have my faith be gone and lost. And that's the depth of that, of that prayer. And that would be what I would encourage you as a congregation. So whether you're at a point in your life where you're going through your own personal transition, you're going through your own painful, hurting time, can I encourage you to pray that way? It's rocking you already, but pray desperately to the Lord that this time of trial, this time of transition will not have the power to shipwreck your faith. Shake it maybe, but not shipwreck it. And I just, I pray over you that hope and that faith to believe in a God that wants to be there for you in that way. You know, as we respond to this today, and both as a church and individually, let me share just a couple more things with you. You know, all transitions are hard. Whether it's like what I said earlier, whether it's moving or job-related or relational-related, Change and transitions are really hard in life. Change and transitions are really, really hard when we go through them in the church. I just want to say to all of you, you need to acknowledge the loss and the pain, and you need to let yourself grieve the loss and the pain. It's normal, and it's good. It's necessary. It doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you unspiritual. It just makes you human, and it makes you a child of God. His heart and grace is there for you. So go to him and acknowledge that and grieve that. It's, it's an important part of the process. Let me remind you too that all conflict both receives hurt and causes hurt. I've never been through a church conflict where I was involved personally or I was involved as a transitional pastor where conflict was caused hurt on both sides and hurt was received on both sides. There's almost never a situation where it's just all a one-sided fault and a one-sided exoneration. Hurt and conflict, it just creates hurt and pain. Both we give it and we receive it. And I think that understanding that again means that we have to and we need to walk in humility. We need to walk in grace. And we need to be committed to that if we're going to be the church of Jesus Christ and walk together. And so I just hope and pray that God will give us grace in that part of the process as well. 
And you know, with that, if I can take you back to that tree that I showed you at the beginning, and we talked about going to that place of new beginnings. I just pray and want to prophesy even over you, can we embrace hope and possibility? And can we embrace process? And like I said at the very beginning, there will be parts of this process that some of you are not going to like. But can I ask you to be patient and to embrace the process so that we can go through it and come to that, those places of new beginnings? Because, you know, in just my few weeks here, I've just been astounded by the quality of people that are in this congregation. The giftings that are here, the quality leadership that's here, the generosity that's here, the commitment that's here, the passion that's here, the prayer groups that I've been hearing about that are here. Those are wonderful things. You are, you are much healthier than maybe you give yourself credit. There's much reason to be really hopeful for how God has gifted you and how God has brought you along as a church. And you need to hang on to that hope because there's always more reasons to be negative and cynical than there is to be filled with hope and possibility. But can I plead with you? Don't let the enemy win and destroy this beautiful community because you are a beautiful community. You are a part of the body of Christ. And this church matters. It's mattered for many years and it's gonna matter for many years in the future. And you have the potential to walk through this and be stronger and be an incredibly united church that can walk out and fill fulfill the mission that God is calling you to. So again, I say, would you submit to the process and be willing to believe God for hope and possibility in your future? So with that, let me close in prayer. So Father God, I thank you so much for this congregation. And Lord, I even thank you for the painful season that they walked through. Lord, I pray for those who are hurting and broken. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you come now? Would you hover over them? Would you fill them? And would you fill them with a renewed hope that you are there and that you are for them, even in the midst of their deep hurt and pain and loss? And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd begin to do a great work of healing in each of our lives and in this community called Bridgeway Community Church. So Lord, we do pray, your kingdom come and your will be done here as it is in heaven. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. I listened to a sermon where the pastor said, never more was there any evidence that it looked like God had failed at his job than on Good Friday. All hope looked like it was lost because that was not the expectation of what was supposed to happen. We have the privilege of seeing ahead of time. We have the privilege of knowing that Resurrection Sunday comes. We have the privilege of knowing that God is there in every moment and that he brings out the best because it is his will that is being accomplished. We've heard testimony this morning about the hurts and pains of other people, but we've also seen that God brings out the best. If you can't praise his name this morning, that's okay. That's between you and Jesus. But I ask that you do pray that you can get to a point where you can praise his name. I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died.
we thank you for this morning of hope. God, we thank you for this morning of praise. We thank you for this morning of testimony. Send us out with your blessing, God, with, oh, with encouragement, with joy to spread to this city. God, send us out in your name. We pray this in the holy, precious, and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.